0: Welcome back to another episode of the Khoisarus podcast. It's a two man team today. I've got Jesse with me. This is episode 37. And we actually neglected to mention this, Jesse, uh, on the last pod, but we've actually been doing this podcast now for a year. We actually hit our one year anniversary uh, l- the last episode, which we should have mentioned. Um, but who who would have thought we, we made it this far. Yeah. I mean, it was a miracle that I got
1: to the pod studio today. I've been on a bender celebrating with the family. They, in the last week, it's just been (laughs) (laughs) nonstop drinks and champagnes and, and ordering steak and caviar to celebrate one year of the pod. It's been an incredible journey. Uh, truthfully though, no, it's been good. It was just sort of, it started as a group chat and was like, let's, let's get, you know, these four different Spurs voices together. Um, because the world needed another Tottenham podcast from Americans. And here of we course. are. We I think we do have our own little little uh little lane. Um and I like it. So um pr- props to you as the as the, the the primary hosts um super producer. Well I do what I can.
0: Uh and like I like like you said, I think another thing that makes the pod interesting is that we're obviously all American, but we're all living in different pockets of the country. So uh we all kind of have different uh viewpoints i think a little bit uh just based on where we are who we watch games with um and and that's interesting to be able to bring to the pod so it's been a fun journey so far one year down um we'll see how many more to go but we're gonna keep on rolling unfortunately spurs have not been rolling or they've maybe they've been rolling downhill i don't know since the last time that we met and recorded win against everton that uh, oh, no, draw we, that was a Everton. draw against Everton. winning against, win against Brighton. Right. So this was after the Everton match. We went into the Brighton match. I don't think uh, hopes were that high. I know mine weren't going into that game. We somehow won, although it, it seemed like we probably didn't deserve to win that game, which we'll get to in a second. Um, and then the Burnmouth loss that just happened last weekend. So I think we'll have a little bit of time to talk about both of those. It's been a couple of weeks since we last recorded. Is your feeling about the team, or anything that you've seen in the past two weeks changed, uh, or is it more of the same? Or do you feel any differently than you did uh, when we last recorded?
1: Yeah, I, I'm starting to feel a little bit um, Groundhog's Day for the the third time in in the span of four matches. We were facing a relegation battling club. We had a lead. Um, or had points in the 90th minute uh, and dropped those points in the the 89th or 90th minute or later. Um, We did it against Southampton, blowing a two-goal lead, did it against Everton, um, and then did it against Burnmouth. And then, you know, sandwiched in between uh, those two draws and a loss was a wildly undeserved um, win when the man of the match was the, uh, at least for Tottenham's sake, was the referee. So uh, it's been an an ugly and rough uh, couple of months. You know, I started to think like, okay, maybe at least Kane will give uh will give Holland a, a run for um for the oh, golden boot. boot. Yeah. Um, but then I think uh Holland had a had a brace over the weekend and and then is you know continued to to add that uh add to his tally. he's got thirty-two now, um and Kane's at twenty-three. And I think he had uh yeah, he had a brace. So it was just like, Oh, Harry, maybe he's gonna do something here and, and challenge it. But um uh, that looks not bloody likely, um, but still going to have a, you know, another terrific individual year for Kane. But yeah, I'm, I'm in a I guess the good news is, you know, my um, basketball and hockey teams are in the playoffs. So they've been distracting me and uh, and giving me something that, to pay attention to besides the this uh, stuck in neutral, um, frustrating Groundhog's Day-ish run of Spurs uh, the last uh, last month.
0: You know, I'm glad you mentioned that because. I I was having this conversation with somebody. I think it was with my girlfriend the other day. Um, just saying, like you know, Spurs have been so poor, and I'm just so thankful that the NBA playoffs is happening right now. Right. As a as a basketball fan, I've had a really welcome distraction. Not only are my Knicks in the playoffs, which is great uh, to root for them, but then just also being able to like watch all the other games and and seeing you know. Draymond Green stomping on people's chests and, and uh you know, these crazy performances. Like last night we had this back and forth between Anthony Edwards and Jamal Murray and, and guys are scoring 40 points. And like, there's, there's been a lot happening within the NBA playoffs and there's multiple games on every night. Um, So I think that's been like a nice distraction where I'm not thinking too much about Spurs. I think the other problem is, and I mentioned this in the group chat, I think last week, I don't know if I'm alone in this and I, I would I would venture to guess that I'm probably not, but on some level, it felt like our season kind of ended after we got knocked out of the champions league. So unceremoniously and like, yes, top four was still on the table and it still remains on the table, but it just felt like all of the air of the season just kind of got released for me anyway. And I I feel like even watching the last few games, whether it was the Everton game, the Brighton game, the Burnmouth game, it's like I I'm watching the matches almost passively, impassively, maybe is a better word. Um, I don't feel as emotionally connected to what's going on. It's like I'm I'm watching it almost out of a sense of obligation. Okay, you know this is a two hour obligation each week. It's not gonna take a whole bunch out of my day to to see what happens. I'm going into the games with low expectations. If and when we lose, which we've been doing a lot lately, I don't feel particularly upset about it. I mean, even watching the Burnmouth game, I'm just kind of just like watching, seeing what's going on. Um, Sonny scores. It's like, all right, that's nice. They score a couple. I'm just like completely unfazed. And I don't think I really showed any reaction or emotion until Richie bagged a goal in like the 70-something minute And then I kind of was like, oh, yeah, like I kind of got excited. And then, of course, it was offside because all of Richie's Premier League goals are offside. (laughs) Um, And then Dan Juma bagged his and I was like, okay, I was like kind of getting into it. Like, all right, boys, there's, you know, there's three, four minutes left. Let's see if we can if we can steal this one. Um, And of course, the opposite happened. And we ended up having zero points instead of the one. So I don't know, like it, it just it feels very much like a big shrug at this point like i'm i'm just kind of just waiting for the season to be over um and it seems almost apathetic or or negative to say that considering the huge run of games that are coming up in the next week this should be kind of the last gasp so to speak um but i don't know i I've, i found it hard for me to really get excited because i feel like i already know what i'm going to end up seeing you know you mentioned Groundhog's Day effect and I feel like that's been a lot of what Spurs fans have been going through and not even just for the past two or three weeks but for the majority of this season we've been seeing the same football um, over and over again sometimes we win sometimes we draw sometimes we lose but there have been very few instances this season where at full time I walked away feeling like oh yeah we totally deserve the three points there
1: yeah, I think it, and it's, and I'm in a, like I said, in a similar spot. I, I think the word that came to mind when you started talking a little bit was just like going through the motions. It, it feels mm-hmm. like, you know, you're, you, it, it's like kind of like a, a college girlfriend and you're all getting a little bit annoyed with each other. And it's like, Hey, Thanksgiving break or, or, or winter breaks coming up. Let's just, we need a little bit of a reset. We need some space we need this summer off. Um, and you're just kind of like going on those last couple of dates before break and just like, nobody really wants to do it. I don't want to get jacked. I don't want to watch Spurs. I'm not getting jazzed up for these games. Um, the Bournemouth game. I, uh, I had a play date with my daughter um, that we went to. And, and it was like, we had to leave around like the 70th minute. Um, and you know, when that's happened before, I'm like, okay, am I going to DVR the whole game? Am I going to watch the first half then DVR the second stay away from this stuff and yada, yada, yada. And I was like, well, I'm like, Am I going to get to the place, you know, early and just hang out in the car and watch the second half of my phone or whatever. And it was just like, no, none of that. I'm just going to like see what the final result is. I was like, Oh, cool. We, I saw that not the goal, but saw the, you know, the, the alert that we had, we'd equalize. And I was like, okay, that's neat. At least we get a point. And then it was like, no emotion, no surprises when I see that we gave up a, a winner in the 96. So, um, I mean, taking a step back from just the Spurs relationship generally, right? Like there's, most sports fanhoods and fan relationships with teams is just a wildly unhealthy thing, right? We just give and give and (laughs) give and give. And and, and often in most teams, just you don't get much back. Right. And so, um, you know, wildly unhealthy for the most part, uh, if you put too much into it, as you know, obviously we do, we, we have a podcast, we're caring about so much about these games. So we're definitely guilty of caring too much about this stuff, but um in a season like this i'm 100 on board with you like you know there's a little bit like it almost feels a little bit like a a chapter you know if the season's a book a chapter or a major part of a section of the book ends when you get knocked out of the fa cup when you get knocked out of the Carabao cup when you get knocked out of champions league when it's not that it's an official designation but when you realize hey we're not going to be chasing a premier league title this year um uh or in this case of of like you know where yeah, there's still a, a a shadows chance of a, of a champions league top four finish, which to me that year, like last year was like, great. We're back. And it felt like not as good as winning a trophy, but it was like, well, we're back. We've been out for a few years and now we're back. Um, this year, even if we get in, it would, it would, obviously it's better to be in than not, but it wouldn't, it doesn't bring me the same joy that like last year's hunted, because it would be like a wildly undeserved um, top four. If if there's some reason or some way that we we get there, but yeah, what do we have? Seven games left would be very much looking forward to uh, to the break and and a little bit of a another reset year. Um another year looking for a, for a manager, hopefully finding the right one this summer and not
0: firing somebody uh, 10 games in. It's funny that you mentioned last year because I was actually thinking about this the other day like if you compared how I felt about this team and how I felt going into matches Uh, A year ago to now, it's like completely night and day. And for the most part, we're not in a wildly different position than we were a year ago, right? Like we're still in the top four race. There's seven games to play. There's everything to play for. If we were to somehow get results from, from the Newcastle and United and Liverpool games, then like you could see a scenario in theory anyway where we could end up fourth the same way that we did a year ago. But I think the situation just feels so much more different. um, Not only because of the way that we've played, which I think has a lot to do with it, um, but also just thinking about the state of the club, right? The fact that we don't have a manager, we have a director of football that is very likely not going to be there next year. Um, You've got, the Kane contract thing kind of looming over everything. And I think that's also playing a factor in who we can sign as, as a manager. There's a number of signings that we need to make. There's a number of guys out on loan that are going to have to come. Like there's just a lot of uncertainty going into next summer that makes it actually feel a lot more like 2021 than it does like 2022. Um, And it seems silly to say that because we're not sixth or whatever we finished that year. But we very well could finish fifth or sixth. Like, you don't really know what's going to happen. The other thing is, I remember when there was 10 games left in the season, which was before the Everton match. And we were in our group chat talking about, like, how many points do you think we'll get out of these last 10 matches? And Do you remember
1: what what you said? Yeah, it was 18 or 16, but we came up with the same total in a different way.
0: We both said 16. Um, Out of those first three games, uh, Everton, we got one point, Brighton, we got three, and Bournemouth, we got zero. So we're on four points with Newcastle, United, Liverpool, Crystal Palace, Villa, Brentford, and Leeds left to play. So in order for our prediction to come true... (laughs) We need 12 points out of the last seven matches. Yeah, I had us nine. I had an Everton win,
1: a Brighton win, and a Bournemouth win, which I, I would have felt great about my prediction had we not just completely yeah, if we not blown the 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 Everton game, because then I would have been like, oh, like we got six instead of nine. But um yeah, I think I had us down for Newcastle and United tie and a Liverpool loss. So uh yeah, we're I mean that's that's the if I wasn't so broken by Spurs this year, I'd be talking myself in to be like, "Hey, we play the teams we got to beat. These next three teams, we're playing teams that we have to get points over. So each one of these is a six-pointer." Um, but I don't even feel emotionally. I'm not being honest with myself if I, if I if I'm saying if I'm getting jacked up about those and thinking about them as six pointers because I'm not. I'm just thinking about them as each one of these games that ends is one game closer to uh, hopefully the end of the, the season. Well, not hopefully, the season will end
0: soon. <laughs> the season's going to end one way or another, um, unless we're really in groundhog today, then, then that's a disaster. We wake up and then it's, it's February <laughs> again. We had to do, we had to keep doing yeah. this, these last four months. Um, but if you look at it though, I mean, Newcastle, United, Liverpool, those are all really tough matches, but then we end the season with palace Villa Brentford and Leeds. And so to get, Twelve points. We 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 need four wins out of those last seven matches. It's not completely out of the realm. It's this is also not ambitious at all, right? Like six, sixteen points out of ten matches is not ambitious. Um, it's just what we thought would happen. Um, and and right. and right now, it 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 actually looks worse than what we thought. So, you know, we'll we'll see what happens. We can make a few quick notes about the Brighton and Burnmouth matches. Brighton game, obviously, um, a game that we did not deserve to win. <laughs> I mean, not only were they pretty much cheated out of a goal from a, a bad VAR decision, um, or at least a penalty, at the very least, if not the goal that was disallowed, then there was that whole kerfuffle between Deserby and the and the coaching staff, which was kind of weird, um, but it, it, that felt like a, a three points that like, oh, well, you know, if we had favorable referee decisions in some of these other matches, maybe we would have got three points from Burnmouth or Everton as well.
1: Yeah. It's, um, and you feel for Brighton. I mean, they, uh, uh, what is it? They, that's the third time or the second or third time this season. They've had to get the, the official referee. Yeah. That's us. That's on us. We have to up. I'm sorry, yeah, that's, guys.
0: That's crazy. I and mean, that's, that's tough. That feels like, that feels like us from a few years ago.
1: So. Yeah. So, you know, tough for them but I mean the most interesting side story of of that and I think you I think it was you who talked about in the last pod about right or maybe um uh I think it was you but just all these different you know each each team's got their own narrative and then like the 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 Brighton and and Spurs narrative clashing at the same time and like the Deserve narrative of like wow, is he a young, great looking, you know, kind of up and coming manager, and that really that's that's it's potentially on the cusp of getting a big job. And then, you know, from what it sounded like was, was one clickbaity um, Italian newspaper hit him with a headline of of like misquoting yeah. Stellini, and he didn't do any research or look into it himself and just flipped out on Stellini uh, pregame. And then, obviously, getting and then, you know, got, got came to a head and got kicked out. So like I mean, everybody was before was like, "Oh, look at Deserby! What attractive football and everything like that." And then I was like, "Dude, he can't handle one bad headline. Like, then we're yeah, gonna have that, another yeah. freaking, you know, chest-beating alpha male sideline bravado that we're just kind of like, we need a little bit of a break from, uh, of of that kind of attitude." I think so. Yeah, I mean that that the the Deserby went from maybe the next manager to I don't I don't imagine.
0: That, uh, that he's in the in the pecking anymore. Yeah, that was not a good look for him. And also, not only did he take Stellini's quotes out of context, but I think even if Stellini said what he thought he said, which essentially would have been him saying, like, the Zerbys not really that great of a coach, and he just took over what Potter created, which, again, is not what he said. But even if that is what he said, his reaction also still felt like way too defensive and like, yeah. not really equal to what the quote was. And why are you so that concerned with what this caretaker manager has to say about whether like you're doing your thing, man, you've got a lot more in your favor right now than Christian Cellini. Why are you even right. worried about that guy?
1: So that yeah, to I me mean,
0: was like a huge red flag. And like, if you think you're going to, I don't know if he even wants to come to, to Spurs, but if he can't handle that, man, <laughs> he would be he'd be flipping his lid every other week working at Tottenham. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Like absolutely rattled from uh, from that little thing. I mean, it's it's you know, it's a little bit uh, of of the stuff that, you know, kind of reminded me of of like college football or college sports. A little bit of just like, you know, when when you have a mid-major coach who's about to like maybe get his chance to at coaching a Big Ten or an SEC team. And then, like one person, like misquotes him or or says something, and he flips out. It's like, buddy, like you have one beat reporter, okay? There's going to be 25 beat reporters plus international news and all sorts of stuff. Like it's a way, way bigger jump up, even though it's the same club. Um, like not ready yet is the the vibe, and or or maybe you know if I'm if I'm looking at it through bright and colored lenses, if he's just like, I love this, I love this stuff. I don't I don't want to go to Spurs. I can't say that, you know, necessarily as you know I can say that in a press conference, or I could just freaking flip out on uh, on their coach on the sideline and catch a red, <laughs> and then that'll show Brighton that like, hey, I, I want to be here, um, you know, for real. So I don't know. It's uh, It was a weird, weird, uh, weird thing for sure.
0: Well, you talk about the manager search, and I think that's probably the segue for that because I've been seeing a lot of reports saying that – Nagelsmann is obviously the number one for Chelsea. I also read something today that they've contacted Poch. Um, They're still kind of texting the waters with him, but they have been looking at him. They've been looking at Luis Enrique, but, but Nagelsmann is still their number one choice. And it feels like two things. Number one, they're being linked to all the same people that have been brought in conversations about Spurs' potential next manager. But number two, and I think most importantly, is the fact that there have been reports coming out that they've already kind of started to contact and started to kind of ask some of the questions and and figure out and whittle down their shortlist. And I do kind of get the feeling that Spurs are kind of like sitting and waiting and seeing who Chelsea signs before we make a move, which on the one hand, I understand that Chelsea – is a bigger draw. On the other hand, they're also not going to be playing in a European football next year. Spurs most likely will be at the very worst case scenario. We probably conference league baby, Uh, which I I don't think that's going to draw like a coach to the Europa conference league, but I think that's not really the right approach. If you're simply going to wait for your rival to hire who they want and then see who's left over that I feel like our coaching search is just as urgent as Chelsea's, if not more so, because our, our future is more in the balance. I mean, they've got their guys. If anything, they need to whittle down their team. We still haven't figured out who we actually want to be there next year. So, yeah, Yeah, I mean, it would be
1: a, it's a, it's a second place or a, or a, a second class kind of move to wait for the bigger team or the more well-known or more more powerful team Um, especially if if some of these guys are going to you know if there are guys that we're going to be both having conversations with and these guys are willing to have conversations with both of us Chelsea can say hey look we we're going to prove we're going to back you with with millions and millions we got this American owner who just came in is going to swing swing his wallet around so the move would be the opposite of what we're doing is to be first and say hey look here's an act if if the, if we end up liking the same guy or if we end up liking a guy that's also in renair is like yo here's the actual bird in hand we want you to be spurs coach here's the deal take it you have you know power play i'm a little bit you've got a week or whatever you know i'm not a professional agent or negotiator but like you know we, if we go first if we get on the front foot then maybe we're able to get somebody and that that gives us the position that the person would have to say okay do i want this actual offer from spurs here are the things i like or do i want to wait to see if Chelsea can, can drag it out. Um, you know, uh, so I don't know. It, it, it's, it's, yeah, I don't like, I don't like our approach one bit with uh, with how we're doing it right now.
0: I also think another thing that we can offer and don't laugh too loud when I say this, but I think we can offer a little bit more stability than Chelsea. Granted we have now had, what is this? Three coaches in two years. They've had four coaches just this season. Yeah. <laughs> so like if I'm a coach, I'm going to be really careful before I sign with Chelsea because I know if I have a bad month, I'm I'm going to be out of a job. I also think if you're Spurs, you also have the benefit of the doubt to say, Hey, say what you want about Antonio Conte, but he pretty much forced their hand. Like they, they could not fire him after that press conference. And so I don't know that that would be, If I were a coach or a manager looking for a new position, I don't know that I would look at that situation as a red flag, as like, as long as I don't throw my entire organization under the bus at a press conference, I'm probably going to be okay. The run of form that we had been in prior to that game and prior to that outburst at that press conference at, at Southampton, I think we had not been playing well up to that point. There were already rumblings about whether or not Conte should be sacked leading into that game. And so there's reason to potentially believe that had he been at a club like Chelsea playing the football that we were playing at that time, he might not have even been the coach during that Southampton match to begin with. Yeah. And so I think like that is also something that you can say is like, hey, like if you come here, and you want to be here, that's the biggest thing. Like, we want a coach who wants to be at Spurs. I think one of the biggest reasons that the Conte relationship went sour is that he never really felt, particularly not this season, maybe last year, but he never really felt committed to the idea of being at Spurs. All of his comments and quotes over the course of his tenure there were very much like he was doing the club a favor, like he was the one who knew what he was doing and he was like trying to prop this club up to to kind of like catch up to him. Yeah. Did you yeah. watch Love is Blind by by any chance?
1: No, my <laughs> wife does. Uh she's on a she's on a plane right now and uh and she just told me she's she's teeing up the uh the reunion show. The reunion. Episode. Yeah.
0: So the reason I bring up Love is Blind. Let's <laughs> get into it. It's because There's a there's a there's a character on the show named Marshall and Marshall gets matched with uh, this girl named Jackie, who has had a lot of relationship issues in the past. Uh, She says she's kind of dated like the the tall baller types with the neck tattoos and the 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 tough, rough guys um, who have a little bit of an edge to them. But they always kind of end up in these situationships that fizzle out. And she ends up reacting and doing things that she doesn't want to be the same person that she's been. And so of course she decides to get engaged to this character named Marshall, who is this kind of soft around the edges, emotional talk with you, cry with you type of guy. Um, and of course, as they st- get to know each other they start dating it turns into a disaster she ends up calling him soft she starts questioning him criticizing him because he he hasn't been aggressive enough in trying to sleep with her um and she's i cannot
1: wait for you to bring this home i have no idea where we're going
0: (laughs) keep going so the reason i bring this up and I, i i just finished watching this with my girlfriend so this is why it's fresh in my mind but Marshall's response, not only talking to Jackie, but also talking to the other people on the show and in some of the confessionals, you know, he's kind of saying, he's kind of presented himself as like, I'm actually the person that's here to help you. You don't know what it's like to be in a good relationship. I'm the one who's been in successful relationships. You haven't been in any of it. <laughs> the only reason that I decided to marry you and the reason I decided to be with you is because I thought I could train you up into being a successful girlfriend. <laughs> and I, I get martial vibes from Conte. <laughs> you know, yeah. like he's he kind of like he presented himself as this good guy. And I think as as Spurs fans, we kind of saw him as like, oh, like this is the relationship we've always thought we wanted. And we realized that this person that presented themselves as a winner or as a quote unquote good boyfriend was actually quite toxic. <laughs> and, and, and created this pedestal for himself where he felt like oh, the person that he's with is basically somebody that he has to show how to do it the right way. And I don't think you can get into a marriage that way, certainly. But I also think in terms of our relationship as, as a club, like, I think we need somebody that feels like they actually want to be there and not that they're, they're just there to do us a favor and is going to basically give us the old Marshall Gaslight. I mean,
1: there's a lot of Spurs pods out there. Okay, there are not. You whittle it down to to ones that a couple of the members that all the members are in different parts of the of of the world. You you, you know, there's there's even fewer. You whittle it down to that, and then ones that are dropping deep love is blind metaphors to describe <laughs> the, the Tottenham <laughs> coaching search. And it's one. It's this is it. This is the only one. This is one. the only That's, one that is the the Coiser Us difference friends. <laughs> that, that's uh, it yeah no i think i, I didn't <laughs> have to see the show to to get it i think that makes a lot of sense and um yeah i mean i think that's sort of why uh not only you know with a, with a with any kind of relationship coach and team coach and fan base uh fans and a team you know romantic uh romantic as well like you want to be wanted um you want both parties to want the other party, not not a party that's just sort of like there to be like, yeah, I'm just doing you a favor here, or like I'm clearly punching below my weight, um, you know, to 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 do this. And that's 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 how it felt, you know, I think a little bit of, of with both of the last uh the last couple guys and and uh and Jose and Conte. And I think, you know, one piece of that as well is it's not just those guys, but it's the guys that they came after and poach, it was, you know, who was a guy who so much loved the fans and the club and was, was so much part of it and all that stuff. I think that's been, you know, so going from someone that really, really was a, was a, a marriage of love with everybody. And then moving that to a, a marriage of, of, uh, of convenience and, and, kind of proving that they can still do this or that, or they can do this or that with a, with a club like Tottenham. I think that was what made those, you know, even uh, more Jackie and Marshall, if I remember the right <laughs> No, Yeah, you're right. I
0: actually, actually left out the best part is they got in an argument and she asked him, well, if, if, if this is how you see me, then why do you want to be with me in the first place? Why'd you propose? And he says, Honestly, I saw you as a project <laughs> and I feel oh like, boy, that, yeah, I feel like that that wraps up our our eighteen months with Conte so perfect. I don't even think he didn't even make it to eighteen months um I, that wraps up our tenure with Conte so well, like he never he never loved us, he just saw us as a project, and he thought that he could fix us, and of course, the relationship turned toxic so i I do think when we when we're looking for our next manager, whether it's Nagelsmann, Enrique, Slot, Deserby, Amarim, all these names that have been getting thrown around. I think the number one thing is like, do you actually want to be here? And are you actually committed to like making this work? Is this a project that you're excited about? Are there players that you're excited about? Is this something that you really feel invested in and, and embedded in? And I think that's what gives me a little bit of hesitation about another big name coach like Enrique. And I know this sounds backwards to say, like, I don't want someone who's super accomplished, but I kind of don't want someone who's super accomplished. Like, I I kind of want someone who's going to come into our proverbial marriage and really want to work on making it work. Yeah, no, it makes a lot of
1: sense. And I mean, it's, it's a little bit like, again, to use the dating analogy, which is, I think, apt here of like, there's been times where it's like, you know you have an opportunity with with someone you know visually that you're like whoa yeah you know i'm a i'm a six this person's a stone cold 10 like if they want me i i gotta i gotta take them out a couple times and then you're like kind of like "Ah, i don't really find them they're kind of vapid they're not that interesting they're constantly like on their phone and looking and they they uh, to see what else is going on like do do they want to be here um and so you know there are times for that in your life where that makes sense but it never works out in the in the long run so I mean yeah I think that you know someone that that, that we can grow with that um maybe it is poached but someone that's that's that like right I mean if you look at the 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 peaks of their careers, the types of clubs that that Jose and Conte have gone to have been like those clubs that are have richer histories, at least in terms of winning, than Tottenham does. And so it's been like, okay, that's they. There's a long storied history of success there. They go there to try and add to that. You know, where, where here, there's not as much. You know, as much as it as it pains me to say, as as some other clubs. So it's like you know, it does make sense to have someone that is, and I'm going to use project in a good way here, you know, wants to be part of the project, wants to be, you know, going to these new places and having first sort of things with, uh, with, with Spurs more um, and, and can grow here. And again, wants to be here where, where it's like mutually beneficial that Spurs are doing as much for them as they're doing for Spurs, which it felt like, the last couple of managers, it was, at least it was supposed to be, you know, the opposite of like, they, they're just, we should be lucky to have them and they're going to come in and do this. And it was just not an enjoyable last four years for the most part, there were definitely enjoyable stretches, but not a single year, like as, as joyous as, as any of the, as, as almost any of the post years.
0: And then, and then you have a coach like Nuno, who was, who was not a 10, it was probably more like a four or a five. We thought of the, he had a little bit of potential and, and he was kind of dating up to be with us. And that, that obviously didn't work well either, <clears throat> but you you mentioned Pochettino. And I think another thing that's been interesting to see in the past few games is the Maurizio Pochettino. He's magic, you know, has been like ringing in our stadium yeah. over the past few matches. And it's getting louder and louder. Like I, I feel like it was a little bit that I read about it, but I didn't, I didn't really hear it on the TV, I think against Everton. <clears throat> and by the time we played Burnmouth, it was loud. Like I could hear it very clearly on TV. And so I do think kind of everything that you're saying is kind of what everyone kind of wants back. <clears throat> and I think Pochettino is the easy answer to the question because we've already kind of had that with him. I don't know if he's necessarily the answer moving forward, but I think all in all folks just want to feel good again. Um, I was talking to, that's all we want. We just want to feel good again. We're not asking for that much really. And like, I, I, I was talking to a friend of mine who's a, who's a Chelsea fan about the whole decision to sack Potter and bring in Frank, who has, I think, uh one win in five games coached or something like that they knocked out of the champions league he wasn't a good coach before they brought him back which seemed an odd decision when they were already in poor form it has not worked at all and i was kind of asking him like you know why it wasn't working with potter why would you sack him and bring in a guy that probably isn't gonna work and then really the only reason is like you know he's mr chelsea and if we're going to lose, at least let's lose with a guy that the fans aren't going to turn on and boo. And I think there's a little <laughs> bit of that, too, with, with Pachettino. Like, this might work, it might not work, but at the very least, the fans will give him a little bit more of a chance because yeah. they feel so strongly about him and he's garnered enough goodwill, he has enough goodwill with the fans in the bank that he's going to have a much longer rope then some new manager who comes in and, you know, wins two out of the first six games, it's going to be the boo birds are going to be out immediately.
1: Yeah, especially if it ends up being a non Enrique, non legendary top, you know, top manager, serial winner kind of person. If it is a uh, a younger or not necessarily younger, but a, a less of a known quantity of someone that's coming up from like a lot of the guys we looked at previously, whether it was. Fonseca or Amarin or somebody else like that, that, that is, is not as, doesn't have as much big club experience. It might be. Yeah. I mean, we, yeah, they come out two a six, uh, you know, two wins and six, it's going to be, people are already going to be like, you know, Levy doesn't know what he's doing, yada, 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 which, uh, again, I, I hate saying this, but like Arsenal stuck through Arteta when it looked pretty rough for a good couple of, uh, overall for a couple of years, but especially like some really difficult chunks, Yep. Um. And and look at them now. And so, uh, not that everybody you know is going to turn out as well as that. I mean, right? Arteta was was also learning at the at the feet of of Pep for a for a very long time. Um. So yeah, it'll be. Uh, Poach has will will by far have the the longest leash of of anybody. Um, but again, in the same thing relationship, you know, if it was right then, doesn't mean necessarily that, it, that it'll be right again. But I'm willing to be hurt. I'm going to get hurt. I'm a Spurs fan. I'm going to get hurt. (laughs) At least if I'm hurt again, it's, it's by someone that that I know that, that it will hurt as much as it does the fans that, that a failure that that it'll hurt poaches just the same. If that makes sense.
0: Yeah. And that's, and that's the thing. It's like, you have to bring in a guy that's going to care about what happens and not a guy that's going to be like, well, you know, that's Spurs problem. it got nothing to do with me and you know, I'll take my buyout. Thank you. I feel like Jose and Conte both kind of threw the club and the players under the bus when things didn't go well. I don't think a player, a coach that actually wants to be there would do that. And I also just don't think it's a very professional way to go about being a football manager, but that's my personal opinion. Uh, Let's talk Burnmouth real quick. And when I say real quick, I mean real quick because (laughs) I don't have that many things to say. I will say, though... Southampton match, which was now four matches ago, we gave up the tying goal in 90 plus three. Then we had the Everton match. We gave up the tying goal in the 90, 90th minute. And then we had the Burneth match where we gave up the winning goal in 90 plus five. <laughs> so that's a nice, nice little trend that we've been working on of giving up uh, goals in the 90th or stoppage time. Three of the last five matches. So that's something. I don't know. I don't know what else to say about that. All right. So the Bournemouth match. One good thing I will say that came out of that was Sonny seemed like Sonny again, at least in the first half, yeah. especially like he. I haven't seen him look that bright in a Premier League match, probably all season. Yeah, uh, he looked good. like that first 30 minutes. I thought he really looked good. He had a goal in the 14th it felt like he probably could have even gotten a second one before halftime. Um, His productivity kind of tailed off in the second half from what I can remember. But he, if he's even back a little bit, like he doesn't necessarily need to be scoring every week, but I think even the threat that he creates when he's able to control the ball at his feet and and make some of those sunny like runs. And I think even what made it even more special the goal that he had was assisted by none other than Ivan Parisich, who yeah, everyone has been yeah. saying all, all season the... they can't play together. And he looked really good playing next to Perisic, So I think there is something positive to to take out of that, potentially. Um, and then we got a goal from Dan Juma, who actually got some minutes today.
1: Or yeah, I mean last week. I,
0: I don't know what his uh his I feel like he's barely
1: played um, and it feels like he's got, you know, a couple of goals in, in very, very limited run. Um, and so not that that's going to extrapolate that out, but uh, I would love to love to see more of him. Speaking of Dan Juma, just in general as a sub, I, I was playing a little FIFA earlier um, today and uh, I'm in season 20, 26, 27. And I came off an injury and um, Conte, uh, FIFA Conte told me I'm not in his plans anymore. So I've requested a transfer <laughs> in the last game that I played before recording. Well, that's a-
0: how, that's how, you know, it's a video game. Conte's <laughs> still there in 20, yeah, right?
1: But here's how, you know, that like something is, is, is off as well. Is that, um, I subbed on in the 84th for Lucas Mora in 2027, Lucas Moura in a video game world was still getting significant burn gracious. for Tottenham Hotspur. I'm like, what are we, like, how is this happening? But uh, yeah, I yeah. would love to see him play some more. I think that, that as you said, that the Paris, the Paris Sun, son, that, like, that was interesting to see them connect. Sonny did look a little bit more normal, but um, you know, we've seen him have some flashes then go back
0: to, to kind of math. So we'll see. Um, well, Fop Mob gave Sonny an 8.1. And he had the highest score on our team. Well, actually, Perisic had an 8.3. That's interesting. But, yeah, I mean, Dan Juma comes on in the 58th minute for Davinson Sanchez, which we'll talk about in a second. And he scores 30 minutes later uh, to tie the game up in the 88th. So he also came on in uh, the Brighton game and actually made a really nice run that kind of opened things up for the Kane winner. So the the guy can play. He's been productive in the games that we've seen him. It's still quite baffling as to why he hasn't played more up to this point. I'd also say that this is a little different than the Jed Spence situation because we were asking a lot of the same questions about Jed, but having seen him play in League 1 for Ren, uh, I mean, I haven't seen a ton of him, but what I have seen, he's a real defensive liability. And I and I imagine that probably had a lot to do with why Conte didn't want anything to do with him. Because for all that he brings to the table going forward, he's taking a lot away when uh on the other side of the pitch. So I don't think uh that's the same case for Dan Jim. I mean, this is a guy who with with Champions League experience, this is a guy uh who's a lot more seasoned than Jed Spence and has proven that he can perform at, at high levels. So him not playing is still quite baffling to me. I wonder if him bagging a goal and actually getting a full 30 minutes of run against Burnmouth changes things for the last seven matches. I would like to see a little bit more of him. And if, and when we go down a goal on Sunday, like let's, let's chuck him in there and let's see what he can do. Richie, on the other hand, uh, comes in in the 77th minute. He subbed on for Ali Skip. He bags a goal that does not count because the buildup had an offside. So he's still goalless in the Premier League. What do we make of this? I mean, it's pretty safe to say this season has been a bust for Richie. He does put a shift in. And that's one thing that, you know, when Sun and Kulu have been looking quite bad. At least Richarlison comes in, he defends, he pressures the ball. He's trying to do something out there. And you're never gonna look at him and say, oh, you know, he's he's just out there just going through the motions. And so I think that is a positive, but obviously you don't pay 60 million for a guy to play hard just be vibes. Not- yeah. yeah. Just yeah.
1: Be- uh yeah, I mean there's there's uh that that's sort of I feel like been the 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 brand of uh of american strikers on the international um uh internationally for a while um of hey they're gonna they're gonna run around a lot they're not gonna <laughs> score necessarily but they will give you every piece of effort they'll get they'll chase down they'll win 50 50 balls and they'll press and yada yada but um, a real, real yeah, that, gym or real yeah that doesn't that doesn't cost <laughs> 60 million so um uh so they uh, yeah like dan juma's got two goals in 97 minutes a- across six appearances in in, uh, in all competitions it's not again bad. not that i'm expecting him to be a two goal a game player i'm not a, a, a knucklehead but it, let's let's see more of it um and so i think for um for uh for rich yeah absolute bust of a season it's shockingly a bust i think it's just it just felt like every time that he's gotten healthy or every time that he's been good he's had a step, he's had a setback, he's had a setback. So he's never ever been able to, to get a good run of games in. And we talked about one of the challenges with a, you know, with a guy like, like him coming in here specifically, despite being as proven as he was at the top level. Um, he was the first, he's the Harry Kane of, uh, of Everton previously where he's not getting any days off. And so that's a different kind of a situation. And obviously people do that all the time. Like, Darwin Nunez was not that he's having a good gear, but he was playing all the time. Uh, we're in the previous club he was at before he came to Liverpool. Like, that's a different thing that, like, when you're going to be a top team, like, not everybody's going to play every time and you've got to figure out how to do that. I think that maybe a little bit was a factor, but mostly just every time it's felt like he's started to put something together for a couple of games, he's picked up a knock or pulled something and then had to
0: stop. And it's just been like start, stop, start, stop, start, stop with, um, with uh, with Richie so the other big point from the Burnmouth match was big Dav, who came on for an injured Clement Longley in the 35th minute and within three <laughs> minutes of being on the pitch Bournemouth scores and then Dav has a really nice assist for their second goal was that the first goal or the second goal where he basically uh tapped the ball right into the player's pathway for him to slot it home. I thought that was the first. Yeah, so yeah, so great. So that was within 3 minutes of him being on the pitch. That's great. And then after playing a whopping 20 minutes of game time, he gets taken off after their second goal for Dan Juma. So uh not very often do you see a substitute get subbed Um, But I think there were a couple of reasons why it happened. One is that he was performing poorly, number one. Number two, they had just scored a goal, so we needed to bring on more offense, and we knew that he wasn't going to be able to provide that. So the idea was to take off a defender, put on a forward. But the other reason, and I think the big reason uh, that everyone was talking about after the match, and, and Stellini was also asked about it, was that he was getting brutally booed by the hometown, by the home crowd, not only after his error, but even before it happened, when he came off the bench, it was just kind of like, what is this guy doing? He automatically makes a mistake within five minutes of playing. And the boos were just raining down. And Stellini said something to the effect of like, you know, I kind of wanted to protect him from what was going on and, and kind of, give him the old arm around the shoulder. It's going to be okay. And, and make sure that he still feels a part of the team and that he's not just out there being isolated as our fans are brutally attacking him.
1: Yeah. Those are tough situations. Um, you know, I, I think that in general, um, fans have the right to boo their own players or manager or team. You pay for a ticket, uh, like I said, these relationships are supposed to be, you're giving something, you're getting something. And so I'm, I'm never going to tell a fan or fans at large that they can't boo somebody. This felt different. You know, I think this, this also in a different, in a much different way, but the, you know, if I'm thinking of fans that are that, teams that I've been a fan of is like when, you know, for a while, like the Yankee fans were, were booing um, A-Rod like a lot when he was failing or in the playoffs. And it was like, Again, I respect the decision or I respect the the way that you're going to try and voice your opinion, but on the same token, like you're not helping anybody. That's not going to like, like you're not, if you, you want Davinson's best. And even if his best isn't good enough, you still want his best. He wants to give his best in this case. Booming is not going to get him to deliver his best. And every time he touches the ball, like, not that the the crowd is a reason that he's going to make mistakes. Like obviously again, like the guy similar to Richardson, like he puts in shifts. He's not he's not saying, you know, stuff that that's bad. He's not he's carrying himself as a professional. He just doesn't have it. Uh doesn't have the the level that we that we that we thought we didn't. He he played very well, you know, I think pretty well early on in his Spurs career, but he doesn't have it. But I get why fans want to boo, but like the, the booing every touch is not something do it to a guy who said nasty stuff about your team and who's left or who asked for a transfer, or who said your team sucks. Like that's the stuff that you reserve for opponents. Um, Not, not every single touch, but it's a, it's a tough, tough scene for, for him. Cause again, he's, he's only been professional despite not being good enough. He's, he's, never said a bad thing Has never, never done anything bad. It's just been not the quality that we need, which it's not his fault. I mean, kind of not his fault that he's not good enough to be, be here. Like that's, it's, it's like yeah. getting mad at a guy for making too much money. He didn't, what is he gonna say? Say no, I don't want to go to a way bigger club than I
0: was at previously. Can I, can I play devil's advocate? Yeah. One could argue that the booing worked because he actually got taken off after they kept booing him. So if, if, the, if the goal was to, was to get him off of the pitch, then maybe the booing did exactly what it wanted to. I, I generally agree with what you said, though. We had this conversation earlier this season about Emerson Royale, who was having a poor run of games. Fans were booing him. And kind of we had the same conversation about like, he's putting in a shift. He's trying as hard as he can. He doesn't seem to have the skill set that we need. And of course he turned his season around right before getting injured because Spurs, but before that, he did not look like he had it. Dav is a different player. He's been here much longer. He very clearly does not have what we need. And and he is a player that we should be trying to ship out. And I, I, I kind of, I don't know. I see both sides of it. On the one hand, you're not, you shouldn't be booing the player if he hasn't necessarily done anything negative. On the other hand, I think fans are just frustrated and they're probably booing the situation because they're thinking to themselves, why do I have to see this guy out here again when I yeah. know that he doesn't have it. And the only thing that they feel left to do is to voice their displeasure through booing. And so like, it's not fair to boo Dav. But I also don't know how else fans are supposed to express their discontent with the situation other than to boo. That's, that's usually the only voice that fans have. Looking at our situation right now, though, if if Longley is going to be injured for an extended amount of time, and I, ha- I haven't found any injury update report to see how bad the injury is, but it, it's all, in all likelihood we might be seeing more of Dav simply out of requirement because Davis is still out. And when I look at the lineup that we played against Burnmouth, the only other defender on the bench was Tanganga. And I don't think that's a player that fans really want to see too much of right now either. He also has played a lot less than Sanchez, who was at least getting some cup runs. So I don't know. Uh, That's an area of concern amongst many others. And I think that's probably a good place to segue into our thoughts and predictions for this upcoming Sunday. We will play Newcastle. That game is also on the road. Great. Uh, So that's at St. James's park on Sunday, the 23rd, Newcastle are fourth in the table. They have a, Three point lead over Spurs with a game in hand uh they're coming off a three nil loss to Villa that we were not able to capitalize from, Ugh. but they had won their four previous, including a two nil win over United, who we also have to play next week, so considering everything that we just said about Groundhog today about injuries to our defenders this is also going to be an away game against a very difficult away crowd that's really up for it and looking to make a a grand return to champions league football. So is it, do we even have a chance in this game? Are we just going to get brutalized by that fan base? I mean, what, what are you looking at or expecting for Sunday?
1: Well, I know that I'm going to enjoy this one less. Uh, The last um, time we played Newcastle this year, I was on vacation uh, for the first time in my life in the Caribbean and Turks and Caicos. And I, stepped away from the the pool or the beach to uh to watch it in a pub and so um once I saw that we lost I just went and got another cocktail uh and went back to the the ocean so I'm gonna have a much worse time um personally this time but uh yeah I'm gonna I think I'd guessed it or I predicted it when we did our our run-in predictions as a as a draw I don't see us stopping anybody here so um I think 2-2 uh as my prediction, I, um, I, I feel like Trippier does something, whether an assist or a or a free kick opportunity or a, or a goal himself that uh, that'll be making us kind of punching ourselves. Um, but uh, yeah, I think I think two two, not enough to actually really give you hope. Not not a full six pointer. I'd love it to be a six-pointer. I'd love it to say, "Oh shoot, guess what? We just we just jumped, or now we're even with them and in, in fourth, Although they have a game in hand, or wow, they just buried us. Now we're six back. I feel like uh, the ultimate pain as a Spurs fan will be uh will be in a draw, so that we'll say, oh, "Okay, both well, we both picked up points, so we're still looking up a, a long, long uphill battle to try and uh, to try and uh, get a, a a good European spot."
0: Yeah. So, Newcastle this Sunday. United at home on Thursday, and then Liverpool at Anfield the following Sunday. I mean, Anfield is a place that has just battered us over the years, and that's probably, in my opinion, the most difficult home stadium in the entire league. I don't even want to get into that game. We'll talk about that on the next episode. But if I'm looking at Newcastle and United, I'm actually more worried about the Newcastle game, quite frankly, and not only just because it's away. But also, the way that Newcastle plays is a very much muck it up defensive style that I think we're going to have a lot of trouble with. And not only Spurs right now, but Spurs over the years, even as far back as Jose, even, even as far back as Pochettino, we have had trouble breaking down stout defenses, particularly teams that line it up in the back. Newcastle is not Sean Dyche's Burnley, so right they're not going to just sit back the whole game. And I think they will look to dominate possession, but they do slow games down. They've also conceded the least amount of goals in the league this season uh, at 0.8 goals conceded per match. So this is not a team that likes to concede a lot of goals. Their defense has been good. Nick Pope's also really good in the back. So even if you do get a crack at goal. Uh he's he's there to gobble a lot of it up. And so I have a hard time seeing us score more than once. Um we played them at home earlier this season. They beat us two one and I think they beat us two one again. So that's going to be my prediction. I have a hard time seeing us uh be able to pull out that win. And I think especially with the defensive woes that we've had this season, not to mention the injuries on top of that, I can very easily see them scoring a couple. So yeah, I'm going to go two-one Newcastle. I think there was a couple of
1: individual errors. I think there was a, a a Hugo poor clearance and or a a Dyer. I don't know if one of them I think counted as an individual error. I don't know if the other one did, but I remember. Um, I think Hugo and and Dyer either combined for a a very poor connection to gave the goal or maybe even one that each of them had a had an issue that that led to both goals so both of those guys are gonna be on the pitch um but hopefully they've they've gotten that that out of them um which is why my my small piece of optimism has us two too
0: well one thing i do remember from that game which i'm looking up the stats now uh they scored two in the first half and then Kane pulled one back in the 54th to make it. Was it was pouring more. rain.
1: It was it was like a torrential downpour. I remember that.
0: Yep, it was raining. Um, and I also just remember there being a lot of, like, the stoppages, right? Like, I think what Newcastle is really good at is draining the clock. Uh, it feels like when you play them, you're, you're really only playing for maybe, like, 50 minutes because the yeah. other 40 are just, like stoppages, guys taking a long time to get up, taking their time on throw-ins, taking their time on corners, uh like all of the things. They're doing that from the beginning of the game. They're not waiting until they have a lead. And I think they back themselves enough to be able to still find ways to win with limited gameplay. And I think that is a part of their strategy. And so that worries me a lot too because we are a team that has not done well this season to take games by the scruff of the neck and I think when you are playing a a team like Newcastle who likes to slow the game down and likes to waste time you have to be pretty aggressive with the ball and you have to figure out ways to break down their defense and really push the pace of the game that has not been something we have done and quite frankly we have let our opponents dictate the pace of the game in most of the games we've played this season And so I think in order to beat them, particularly in their home ground, we will need to dictate the pace and push them out of their comfort zone. So if that happens, then maybe we've got a chance. So we'll see what happens. Spurs, Newcastle, 9 a.m. on the East Coast. I think for you, that's going to be 8 a.m. So good Mm -hmm. luck with that. And we'll see how it goes. Come on, you Spurs. Come on, you Spurs.